0: Orale! Bienvenidos and welcome to the Familia FFP Podcast. This is Jorge Martin and hey, familia, we are on YouTube. Por favor, I'm going to ask keep asking you until you keep doing it, but uh, please give us a like and subscribe. I know you guys are watching. This is the continuation of our NFL Insider Series that has just been so great for us. Uh, I mean, so much great knowledge has been dropped in this series that I, I you, know, you just got to keep going back. Yeah, everything is archived on our YouTube make sure you you go check it out also we are a proud member of the fantasy points media group and i mean they're right in the middle of 32 days of 32 articles, 32 podcasts, so much great content leading up to training camps. You got, you know, Scott Barrett's strength of schedules. You got Graham Barfield's pace and tendencies. You got John Hansen's final points. Joe Dolan's doing similar interviews with uh, beat writers. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, Wes Huber, there's college football content. Tom Brawley's got betting betting information. Go to fantasypoints.com and when you go there, put in the promo code familia22 or if you want to do it in spanish familia22 get 10% off your subscription we'll you know we'll take we'll take care of you i'm telling you it's i use this content to make me a better analyst for you so it's going to help you win your leagues and familia uh, we, we, when i tell you that we've been having return guests coming back in droves. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. This was, uh, this was truly one of my favorites from last year. I mean, everybody was my favorite, so don't everybody get jealous, but uh, you know, this was someone who gave me as real and as honest and as detailed a breakdown on a team that uh, we both at, at the end, were just kind of like, yeah, this was not the most talented team that, but you know what? She still brought it, brought the heat this year. There's a little more talent and there's another reason why, why I wanted to bring bring her in she is she and I are charter members of the Earl Campbell fan club so uh and choke them horns so I'm just uh, i' I'll, I'll do that one for you yes yeah yes 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 uh even though you even though the the schools out here are going in the pack 12 and and uh, Texas is in the SEC so hopefully national championship games are coming out but yes I am bringing in Someone, you know, she's a she's a writer for the Houston Chronicle, covers the Houston Texans. Oh. Stephanie Stradley, just she's also a lawyer who gave me one of the most detailed breakdowns last year on a very tough situation. Thankfully, we don't have to talk about it this year. Stephanie, muchas gracias for joining us. Uh, it, it's such a pleasure. Un gran placer, as we would say in Spanish. Thank you for doing this.
1: Thank you for having me. This this was a lot of fun last year.
0: Uh, it really was. It really was. And you know what? Uh, you know, you've had you've had to kind of soldier through some uh, some, you know, weird situations. But, you know, you've got a coaching change this year, um, big trade of uh, of a quarterback. So now I think things are a little more solidified. But, you know, you got Lovey Smith coming in. It, it It's I, I know it's a coaching change, but he's coming in as uh, he's he was the defensive coordinator last year. So there's some continuity there. And uh, we talked off air the importance of the retention of pep hamilton to this to this offensive scheme which is you know so important to fantasy football can you can you tell me a little bit about how you see this new regime and especially uh the the retention of pep hamilton kind of impacting this team
1: yeah i mean in some ways it it is a change but it's not a change so let's talk about the differences between those You know, it's unusual to have a situation where the head coach gets fired after one year. Um, You elevate the defensive coordinator to the head coach. He's going to stay as defensive coordinator. And then you elevate the quarterback's coach as the offensive coordinator. And to some degree, you can have some skepticism to go, well, you know, why would you think that they would be any better this year if you have the same people, but you just fired some people? And I think, I, I think that this is the most hopeful that Houston Texans fans can be in a long time because there are some signs that they are doing things in a more uh, conventional NFL way, that the way that they communicate is more traditional, that the way that they are interacting with their players is more traditional. And I can give you a couple different examples. I mean... When Lovey Smith was announced, it was a really good example of how he was setting the tone. When he he had his press conference, um, he had a bunch of the older players that had played for the Texans in attendance, including Andre Johnson, who was infamously not happy with the way that things were going at the beginning of 2021. You know a lot of the key players in the past were there, and that is a way of showing respect for the people that came before, but also signals to the players that are there that they value the people in the community. They had um, he answered all the questions at the press conference, and it was you know, and then you know had people there after the press conference. There has been kind of an unusual relationship between the team and the press locally that I don't think has necessarily in recent years been very um, uh, healthy. I mean, I think part of the situation is is that nobody likes to be criticized. And there was a perception, I think, by the Texans that some of the criticism was personal. And I think from, you know, I'm not gonna speak for all the press, but I think from a press perspective, they're like, hey, you were doing things that are unusual. You were saying things that are unusual. And I think that there's just been just a general lack of trust. You know, the, you know the Texans had done some things where they were asking people to just trust them, but doing some and saying some things that maybe flew in the face of how people want to see NFL football. And I'm not speaking for everybody, but I'm just saying there's a lot of, Like, it's easier when people trust what you're doing, that they hear you differently. So, like, if you trust what I'm saying, you hear me differently than if you come into it with just kind of a skeptical point of view. So, Lovey Smith, the way that he's been interacting with people is just more normal football talk. And, you know, at this point, that's a start because the things that have happened – 2020 was a very strange, strange year. You you fired your coach after four games, which traditionally is not done. You put somebody completely uh, new at the GM position who didn't have experience at that and had um, kind of was off-putting to some people. And then you surprised people with the GM choice after you said, this is how we're going to choose the GM. And then you pick somebody off the list. Now, they were entitled to do that, but it, it didn't seem like they, the, the team was being truthful to, to outsiders. Uh, 2021, you went with a very unusual choice with David Cully as head coach. You know, great guy, but he struggled with some of the key responsibilities of a head coach. And, and really you know, being the tone setter for the team. And there just seemed to be a lot of different voices that were going a whole bunch of different ways. Well, fast forward to 2022. The thing, like I, I attended OTAs mini minicamp. If I didn't know what came before, I would think that this is just a very normal camp with, with very normal things. Pep Hamilton, you know, they is changing the offensive scheme. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, but what we did know what that meant with Tim Kelly. Like, I think the approach, and, and David Culley has spoken to this recently, he was always of the position that he thought that Deshaun Watson might change his mind. I don't know very many people who felt the same way because he didn't believe in what the Texans were doing. And uh, I can understand that. Um, I mean, I, I kind of don't understand into a lot of different things, but bygones. But ultimately, there was never a time during the Bill O'Brien era, which includes Tim Kelly and all of that, where you thought that the offense helped the players. It it seemed to be like, here's, here's the play, and maybe it works. The running game doesn't work. It never worked during the O'Brien era, like they had a lot of, a lot of carries, but it wasn't a very efficient, you know, running game the entire time. And sometimes it was completely inept. And so like last year, I had no thought whatsoever that they would be good at running the ball or that this offense would be a good offense because it was the same offense that they kept in place with, I guess the idea that Watson might come back or would feel compelled to come back. This is something new. Now, uncertainty isn't good or bad. It's just uncertain. So at this point, we don't know what the running game's going to be other than two things. Thing one, Levy Smith says, you know, they're going to um, commit to the run. And for some people's ears, that means, oh, geez, we're, you know, we're going to run on first down, we're going to run on second down, and, you know, we're going to run even if we're not efficient. Uh, I asked Pep Hamilton during camp, what is meant by that? And he's basically saying, hey, look, we are, if you look at the analytics, the more balanced teams are the better teams, and and not just running for running's sake, but more in terms of you have to be able to do it. You have to be able to do it. Now, have there been offenses that have been effective not being able to run the ball? Sure, um, but the way he puts it is like we are going to do whatever it takes to get one more point than the other than the other guys. And you know, some of that's going to be limitations on what his offense is going to be able to do, like like just with the players that they have on board. And so to me at least this is the most interested i've been in you know the texans offense in a long time like you could have been excited about it with Deshaun Watson but like that really wasn't within the scheme of the offense like the offense was he holds the ball he holds the ball the pocket collapses and then he does some Watson stuff I mean, it was very interesting at times, but that really wasn't an offense that made the players better. Like, even if you go back a, a, a while back, Arian Foster under O'Brien looked like a completely different player, except for like when he, he played under Kubiak, he was great. The scheme was great for him, and you know, he was able to succeed when he was playing for O'Brien it looked like he was trying to just kind of outwork the scheme like just he was it wasn't helping him and and anything that he got you know was from his own personal effort and i want to see more of a situation where the scheme and the players fit together and you know maybe that happens this year i don't know i'm i'm curious to see i'm curious to see how this goes because what was going on since 2014 was just not working as an offensive scheme. And a sneaky, a sneaky thing is just looking at the position coaches that they have on the offensive side of the ball. You know, they have, you know, for a long time they had very few, very few um, position coaches a lot of them didn't have a lot of experience in the particular thing that they were teaching on the NFL level. And if you look at, you know, the position coaches on both sides of the ball, you can go, okay, I get why they hired that person. No, now they have to all work together and that's, you know, a whole different question.
0: So that, that, that's, that's interesting. And, um, and I'm going to get to the running game first, but, um, you know one of the things that it seems like the team is fully entrenched with davis mills as the starter at quarterback and there was there were some things to like he had four games where he had 300 yards you know there's from i'm talking about from a fantasy football perspective at least going into the season he's not considered one of the top 10 quarterbacks but I I was looking at it there that he could be a guy that helps on, 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 certain weeks of the season. And maybe, you know, maybe somebody who could help in two quarterback leagues. What were some of the things that you saw last year that were, that could be hopeful for, for him and, and maybe what are some of the things that Pep Hamilton has said and and maybe you've seen uh, during OTAs mini minicamp to show like growth that that going into the 2022 season?
1: Well, I don't want to get too New England, but it it blows me away still that Tom Brady has been in the league longer than the Houston Texans have been in existence.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: And. And I've been around long enough that I remember what it was like when Tom Brady was coming up and and what people said about him at the time. And nobody wants to put that on Tom Brady, but everybody has an origin story. And it's hard to know history as, as you're living it. So, like, I'm not going to put Tom Brady on Davis Mills because that's not fair to anyone, um, including Tom Brady. But... I will tell you the things that I appreciate about uh, about Davis Mills that may be hard to see on the outside. First of all, he had pretty much everything going against him last year. There wasn't a running game. He had one basic target on uh, for the wide receivers. The scheme that he was playing with was not never a scheme that would have been considered a a quarterback friendly scheme. His offensive line. There are so many different issues with the offensive line that it's hard to even put it in one podcast. But I think part of it is the offensive line scheme or the offensive line um, did not fit, did not work with the rest of the offensive scheme. And then the players were put in positions where they might not be um, set to succeed. And they were like, we're going to pick our best five. But for years and years, it was just like, okay, we're going to get like a bunch of tall guys. They're probably tackle bodies. And then we're going to see, we're going to put some of these guys as guards and we're going to expect for them to succeed. I don't think that that's the plan anymore, but like you had all of these things at play where he wasn't getting much time with the ball. The running game was poor. He didn't really have a lot of skill positions to work with. And he was able to do something with that. I also think that something that could be helpful to them is that Levy Smith really wants his defense to take the ball away. Well, then that sometimes can create short fields. And so circling back to the Tom Brady thing, Tom Brady, when he was first starting out, his job was just not to suck. You know, just not to be so bad that, that nobody could believe in what they were doing. And I think that his, you know, he has he has a background where you know, he he has a confidence in himself, but also understands the things that he needs to do. And he has kind of like the right demeanor for the things that he's doing. He's working with players on the side and he has a offensive coordinator who has a good background in, in working with quarterbacks. Now, does that all work out? I don't know. I mean. The odds would probably be against that. Like, you know, you wouldn't be foolish to think, well, this isn't going to work. But I mean, the Texans have shown patience for quarterbacks in the past. And frankly, they don't really have any great options. Like, you know, it's Kyle Allen and Jeff Driscoll behind him. Well, maybe Kyle Allen yeah. or Jeff Driscoll is the fourth string quarterback that ends up being Tom Brady who takes over the, the Houston offense. But they are going all in on this approach and they're trying to, you know, make a situation to make it better for Davis Mills to have a running game, to have, and, and, and it was encouraging to, to hear, just, you know, talking to all the, you know, the assistant coaches and and the offensive coordinator just to hear kind of just an acknowledgement of other people's reality in seeing things because last year didn't seem to acknowledge anybody's external realities of like you're not being able to run the ball or you know, or this isn't looking good. You know, it was all like we're gonna just be positive about this. And you know, it's I think that being positive is is a great mental attribute, but it's also it, it's 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 unfortunate if you're trying to kind of deny external realities or even internal realities because it it gets people not to um, fix things, you know, or people are afraid to speak up about things because they know, oh, well, you know, this person's being negative. And it's like, no, this is just, you know, it's hard to talk positive or negative talk in my mind because I get accused of being both at the same time talking about the same stuff but i think it's just like okay what is what is the reality and the reality is there's just a lot of uncertainty and uncertainty isn't good or bad it's just uncertain and you know there always is the part where you know people turn the corner and come together but i mean they have they have a difficult time because you know as a gm as a head coach it is much easier to have a turnaround if you have an established quarterback it just is Then it makes all your choices better because the quarterback makes everybody better now is davis mills that guy well i mean in 2022 that's that's what they're choosing to do and 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 the whole houston texans season is how good can this offense be all together and not just davis mills but all together and you know, they have some things working against them just because, you know, it's a first year in a scheme. It's a first year with a lot of these people working together. And this is their quarterback, for better or worse. We're going to find out what that is.
0: And, and you know, one of the things uh, with – I mean – we're gonna, we are gonna find out because year two is usually it, it's almost like a sink or swim year. I mean, uh, Josh Allen kind of exploding in year three is very rare. It's usually if a quarterback's going to be great, it's going to be in year two. So, well,
1: and, and the, the complicating thing for me uh-huh. looking at this is a lot of times, you know, like draft analysts will only look at the player. And to me, just holistically, I can see of situations where players just never really had a chance because the players were held to higher standards than the coaching staff was. Like the coaching staff really did not give a lot of the players a chance in the Bill O'Brien era because they just didn't have they didn't have the competent coaching to take players to the next level. Then they also had the difficulties of like are you choosing the right players for things? So like all of these things mesh together, but like you could see that Mahomes was going to be a great quarterback because he was in a great situation. Is the Texans a great situation now? Maybe. Maybe it is. Because you know, Nick Casario has a track record of being able to to pick players both in the draft and you know try to like develop a whole roster because so many years at the Houston Texans, you could just look at the roster from top to bottom and go, well, maybe this will work if so-and-so doesn't get hurt and this player doesn't get hurt, but you don't have depth. I think the thing that he's working on right now is creating some sort of depth and trying to get a coaching staff together that can put together an NFL quality offense and defense.
0: You mentioned the draft, and uh, one of the players that's been very intriguing in the offseason in the fantasy football community is Damian Pierce. And I even asked you uh, via Twitter a month or two ago about uh, uh, thoughts on him. The incumbents are Rex Burkhead and Marlon Mack, uh, both veterans. Marlon Mack is a couple years out from uh, an Achilles injury, which has usually been you know, bit, kind of like a death knell for running backs. Rex Burke heads on the other side of 31. Most running backs don't see Damian Pierce has, uh, he did, he does not have the draft capital of four, at a, as a fourth round pick, but uh, you know, a lot of draft Knicks have, I uh, have, uh, you know, said a lot of good things about him. I remember seeing him in, in the senior bowl and thinking he was one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the game. Um, a lot of times rookies either, if they're going to be great, they explode right off the bat or maybe they they kind of take over the the, the job gradually. If it's going to happen for Damian Pierce, do you see it one way or the other? Um, or do you see this as being kind of like a committee uh, uh, at the very least for the beginning of the season?
1: You know, it's really hard to tell this early. And with what we know of people, because we don't really have, a long track record of knowing how they do things. Like if if you ask me about Gary Kubiak, like I was able to tell you, oh yeah, Arian Foster's exactly what he wants and in a, you know, a running back and he's gonna succeed and here's why. With this group of people, it's hard to say because of all the factors that you've talked about. You know, last year they tended not to want to um, give a lot of playing time to rookies early. Mm -hmm. That was just, you know, their point of view. Um, I am not sure that they have kind of that almost negative attitude towards young players. Like if you can play, you can play. And the hardest part now is OTAs and mini camp, you know, you're not doing hitting. So those are mostly throwing camps. You're going to see a lot more during training camp, the other part of that is training camp super hot in Houston, Texas. You can see it's really sunny. And um, a lot of times just for the, for the running backs is like, who survives the training camp in one piece? You know, you get a lot of hamstring injuries and things of, of that nature. Um, I can tell you so far, obviously, they like Rex Burkhead. Marlon Mack, you could see, oh, Okay, he's doing some good things just in OTAs and mini like you know, like you know, you're watching you're watching the players and you're like, oh, who is that? Okay, Marlon Mack. Oh, who is that? Marlon Mack. So there was a lot of that. Now, Damian Pierce, he didn't have a lot of carries in his college career, but they were very effective carries, goal line carries. And you know, some players have a knack at, you know, the goal line. You know, is that something that ends up being his role? You know, like if you have a down where it's pretty obvious running down, you know, like your ability to pass protect is maybe, you know, less stressed, let's say at the goal line. So I think the thing that I would say is, you know, you're not going to want to bet on the uncertainty of the Houston Texans in a lot of different respects early in the year. But it's something to monitor because it is clear they want to give carries. Like this is not going to be a team that is going to be throwing the ball every down. So you know, just from a volume perspective, I think the Houston Texans are going to be wanting to do volume. Um, whether they can do that and stay in games, that's a key key question because you know they can't have situations where they get down by too much and have to kind of abandon that. But I do think that one of their approaches is going to be to try to keep their defense fresh and, and, and stay on the field and be effective at the running game. Ideally, that's what they would want to do, not to put too much pressure on their young quarterback. Now, that's easier said than done, but, I mean, I think that's what they want to do. Like, the Texans' defense last year did some pretty great things in short periods of time and, and pretty much held up the team at, at times but they fell off in the second half of games just because they gassed. You know, if the offense can't stay on the field, then at some point the defense just falls apart, can't, can't keep up. And so I think they want all three phases of – I mean, I, I know it's tripe, but all three phases of the team to make their contributions. You know, they can't have a situation where it's run, ineffective, run, ineffective – third down is long and he, you know, Davis Mills has to throw the ball. Like, I don't think that that's what they want, but, you know, they have to get a lot of things together in a short period of time because this is a new offense. It's a lot of new players. And, you know, that puts, that puts a lot of pressure on them to get things right quickly. And, you know, it's, and it may be an evolution for that team where they look, one way early in the year and a little differently later in the year now i would i would doubt that they would just have one workhorse guy because that's not the sense that i get of how they like to do things but we'll see
0: yeah and you mentioned the new england way uh the new England way is never to give it to just one guy. I mean, (laughs) maybe one guy has a big week this week and then the next week it could be just total someone totally different. So
1: I mean, I think that this is lovey and peps football team. Like Mm -hmm. they are, they are dictating what they want to do from football perspective. Now they can only deal with who they have on the roster. Um, and who's available for them. And, um, we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm curious to see like if they can actually have a running game that makes sense, that looks like it makes sense. Like really, this is the year like, can they just do things in competent ways that are consistent? And and Pep Hamilton was very kind of honest about it. He goes, yeah, you know, him being in charge, he wants to atone for what happened last year that they, played well at times, but they weren't consistently good and consistently good is what an NFL team is expected to do. Like the whole, all of the rules are set up for offensive football. And it is clear that some, some coaching staffs come in and can play offensive football right away. And it's been a long time since, since we've seen that, because it's always been like, well, we don't have this, we don't have this, we don't have this. And someday we'll have this. It's like, no, no. You know, the leaders of the team are responsible for the team. If you're coaching the team, you need to figure out a way to make your offense a 2022 offense. And we'll see if they can do it.
0: Well, one guy who, uh, one player who's, succeeded succeeded in 2021 20 just uh Brandon Cooks. Yes. One of the most consistent players in fantasy. It doesn't matter who's the quarterback, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's been traded multiple times. It seems like no matter who is behind center or what environment he's in, he's a 1000-yard receiver waiting to happen. You mentioned you you mentioned a little bit if they get into uh you know an, an ultra throwing mode, he is the guy are, are we with with him? Are we just looking at an uh you know kind of uh, he's he's still kind of an underrated guy and fan from a fantasy perspective. I think some people look at him as oh he's on the Texans, but he's still good. Yeah. Uh, so I want to I want to uh, see your your thoughts on you know kind of like his progression. He's still in his prime. What what are your thoughts on him?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at trends, it used to be that the trend was you had your number one receiver and you fed the number one receiver. And the trend has gone away from just kind of number one receivers. But I think the way that it's worked with the Texans is he has been the de facto give the ball to him because he's dependable. Uh, And he, Brandon Cooks, is a wide receiver. He runs his routes in precise ways. If the ball comes to him, he's catching the ball. Now, those things seem very elementary, but there are athletes and then there's wide receivers. Like Andre Johnson started off as an athlete, and by the time that he re- retired, he was everything that a wide receiver can be. You know? And so Brandon Cooks is a wide receiver. He can do all the wide receiver things. And they have a lot of players on their, their roster at the wide receiver position, that are just—they're um, not at that. They're not at the his level. Now, can they develop into his level? I don't know. Um, but I mean, a part of it is just the precision of routes, and if the ball comes their way, that they, they catch it. And you know, Nico Collins is a player that a number of people are identifying as he's going to be the breakout player of next year, and I or this year. And I think part of that is the recognition that, you know, for some downs, you might want a bigger body to throw the ball to. And, you know, he's had some moments with Davis Mills and they came up together. So, you know, I could see why people would, would think that, but really all of this comes back down to, do you have an offensive line that can defend, you know, you know, pass, pass, protect well enough. And, and, is this offensive scheme going to put the players in the best positions? And, you know, we'll find out. But, I mean, the things that we're hearing from camp sound good. Now, the performance at, like, mini camp and OTAs, you could see a lot of learning going on. Like, it did not look like, you know, year four of a scheme. Like, I wouldn't expect it to look like that. And they have kind of acknowledged that, hey, look, we're working some stuff out in camp and don't read too much into it, but I mean, they have a, you know, it's not that far before, you know, the first preseason game, they have a lot of things to work out, but, you know, I think Brandon cooks is as much of a, you know, a lock as you can have because, you know, he's succeeded in circumstances where he shouldn't have succeeded other than the fact that he is just watching him on the field better than, than the other players. But then part of that is, you know, you know, not everybody has been able to play at wide receiver yet like Michi.
0: That's the thing, you know, he got injured late. He got injured in December, which usually I think the minimum for an an ACL injury is nine months. I know uh, in talking to a medical expert uh, about Mechie and Jamison Williams, since they both got hurt late in the season, He's more he's more comfortable saying with you know ten months, but really twelve to fifteen months to to consider them healthy. With him, it, it could is it, are we kind of looking at a almost like a redshirt season, considering that he got hurt in December and like ten months would be October and twelve months would be the next December, which is most of the season.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say that because clearly he, that's not what Mechie wants. Mm-hmm. I think he wants to be out there. I mean, you can see him during OTAs and mini camps, you know, basically getting mental reps, you know, he's one of those players that holds the ball pretty much the whole practice just, you know, because they just want to have the feel of the ball. He's taking mental reps. I actually saw him at one point showing another wide receiver, you know, just a different way to make a break. Mm-hmm. For example. Um, so, like, he's very engaged with things. Um, and, you know, there's some noise that he comes back for training camp, but, you know, they don't want to obviously bring him back too quickly. And he's a very, very tough player. So, you know, sometimes you don't want the players to dictate that. But then people have been coming back from ACLs faster and faster each year. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I mean, there, there's kind of this tension um about the whole idea of tanking um you know there's some people like oh well you know they can't be competitive for a while so they should just tank this year which the players with short careers don't really yeah you know like to some degree are are you just saying hey look we're okay with losing um i don't think that that's the mindset that this particular team has um but it'll be interesting to see how fast they bring him back and whether they feel the need to bring him back that quickly. I mean, because wide receiver, it's not like they're touching the ball every time. Um, And, you know, the benefit that he can provide as a rookie may not be worth the risk.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, teams, even the win now, teams don't want to, don't want to rush a player. So yeah, you want to make sure that the guy is back and healthy, and you know, he's, especially someone you you used uh, a relatively high draft pick on, you're not gonna you're not gonna rush him back and possibly re-injure. I mean, we saw in the Super Bowl Odell Beckham Jr. get you know re-tear the same ACL less than a year and a half after uh, after having uh, his previous injury. So you know, the the risk is real. I want to ask about the tight ends. Uh, was not a very featured. Uh, component of the offense last year it's uh i you know i know we've got a young you know a young player going into his second year is that who we could be looking at someone who getting getting more than two to three targets a game or 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 does the does the tight end be look like it's someone who's going to be just a, you know kind of it kind of kind of behind you know behind more behind the scenes player more that you know kind of backstage guy
1: this is put this on the list of uncertainties or just uncertain. They're not good, good or bad. Um, uh-huh. I spoke to the tight end coach a little bit um, when they had availability uh, this offseason. And their their approach is, you know, the tight ends are going to do whatever the tight ends need to do. But they and and I actually specifically asked about fantasy football and he's like, I'm not a fantasy football guy, but. You know, we we want them to be able to contribute. Um, typically, um, young quarterbacks like the tight end. You know, easy easy player to see. Um, you know, gets gets good matchups. Uh, I I haven't seen anybody at so far where I'm like, this is the this is the man, this is the guy that's going to be you know getting all the pass catches. I think it's going to be one of those things where. It's going to be very dependent on, you know, like who, who are they facing, how much protection they can get from just their offensive line. Like if they have to hold guys in Um, and, and whether the tight end position is just, these are the big, or these are the small offensive linemen versus these are the big wide receivers.
0: Oh man! Well, speaking of offensive linemen, uh, this is still uh, a, a rebuilding offensive line. There was some draft capital invested in it. It's it's a group that uh, Pro Football Focus rated number twenty two. You still got an anchor in Laramie Tunsel at as, as the left tackle. As I mentioned, Kenyon Green was uh, w- was a, a fairly high draft pick. Is we both know so much of success, you know, success or failure on a team is dependent on the offensive line. And I heard you talk about it. You talked about it with me last year. And um, it's, is this, is this offensive line training in the right direction?
1: I mean, I think that they have all sorts of talent. Now I think part of it's going to be two parts. Part one is can, can the offensive line, fit work with the rest of the offensive scheme because you know this is all this is all new like you can have all sorts of really good position coaches and coordinators but if it doesn't all work together then it doesn't work i can say that under the o'brien slash tim kelly scheme offensive linemen for a while had said that they had to kind of do much too much thinking at the line that the thought is for this year it's going to be more physical that there's going to be less thinking involved that there's going to be you know more kind of chemistry involved. Cause you know, they rearranged different people all, you know, like, you know, one moment this guy's playing this and one moment this guy's playing this, And we're going to get the best five. I mean, I think at this point, they're trying to settle, settle the positions down. And, you know, if you look at some of the best offensive lines, they are working together throughout you know, throughout the off season, you might have you know, people that are learning the swing tackle position or guys that can play guard center, but they're not kind of in a musical chair situation where they're putting, they're not getting the kind of mental reps that they can get at their specific positions. So if they have a scheme that works better for them and they can settle down in positions so that they're in a better position to succeed, just that alone would be helpful. Now, how, how that pans out, I don't know, but I do think that they have, I, I think that they could perform better than what their talent showed. I, I wonder some at the center position, whether that's going to be sufficient um, because, you know, it's not it's not great to have the center of the line cave in and, you know, the center guard play at times was a misery. I mean, that's not something that you're going to want for, you um, your quarterback play, but we'll see how that works. That is also on the uncertainty list, but uncertainty in a good way. Like we certainly knew last year that it was likely not going to look good because scheme was the same and they were moving guys around this year. They're doing things that seem more football normal. If if there's a way of putting it more conventional, (laughs) I mean, conventional doesn't necessarily mean good, but from my perspective, even if I disagree with what something somebody's doing, I like to understand it. And if I don't understand it, then I'm like, okay, you're doing something that hasn't been working and you're continuing to do this thing that hasn't been working. Um, and And maybe that's kind of a sensitivity to it. Like, you know, O'Brien did things a certain way and, you know, he came from the New England side. And then you had Nick Casario kind of saying some of the same language. Uh, And I sometimes wonder if they were trying to make, you know, the offensive line coaches were trying to make kind of these directives on high work, even though it just really put players in a bad situation. Yeah. Should players be able to play multiple positions? Sure. But, you know, at some point it becomes a jack of all trades and a master of none and you need to make sure that, this guy can play this position at a high level, at a starting level, whether it's on this team or any other team. And if if it's somebody's like, well, you value him because he's he's versatile, but he can't play any of these positions well, well, then that's a problem.
0: So I want to jump to the the, the other side of the ball from the standpoint of uh, this was a team that that really uh, defensively teams were able to attack both in the run and the pass last year. Uh, they invested some draft capital definitely Derek stingley in, in uh in the cornerbacks uh, you know uh, sometimes cornerbacks can take take a little while to to kind of come in be, be, come in and become more established in the nfl uh is this still a, a defense in that's kind of a work in progress
1: you know I thought they were going to actually be worse than they were last year just because of who their personnel were. Like right. you looked at the wide or the the defensive backs and you're like really you're going into the year with this. And you know, clearly they didn't have the consistency they wanted um and there were always times where you know they would you know, kind of pick on the weak links and I think part of what you know this offseason's been is kind of dealing with some of the league weak links, trying to get some grown-ass guys on the, on the defensive line um, just to kind of give the defensive backs a chance. If you were trying to come up with a cloning machine of what Levy Smith wants as a defensive back, it looks like Nick Casario is building it. Because if you look at them as a group, like just look at the roster, it's like big guy super fast. And I I was actually pretty impressed with, you know, some of the coaching that they had done at that position last year with the talent that they had. So let's say you increase the amount of talent you have on defense. If you can just get the offense to stay on the field and give them a chance to breathe. This defense could actually be something. Like I actually think that Last year's defense could have been something had the offense just been like like a league average offense. But they weren't. So, you know, I'm actually pretty high on on the Texans' defense, and they certainly make taking away the ball a key. The the question to me is going to be, okay, is this this defensive line going to be sufficient enough with just a group of guys? Because it's not going to be like, Hey, here's, you know, JJ Watt, you know, here is this guy. And then the, the rest of the people, like they are going to have to play together. Levy Smith has kind of suggested that they're going to be able to do more things with the players that they have this year. We'll see how that, that goes uh, questions at the safety position, but I think that they're going to have the opportunity to take the ball away. Uh, I, I think that's just their big priority to do. And um, they're, they're going to be put in positions where they can do it, assuming that the offense can keep the game in line because, you know, you're not going to be taking the ball away if you're down by, you know, three touchdowns.
0: Yeah. That, that, that becomes harder and harder to do. Yeah. Especially when teams are running the ball like that. Uh, Stephanie, one, uh, one last thing on the, on, on the football side, do you see any sleep? Do you potentially see any sleepers on this team uh, for the fa- from a fantasy perspective?
1: it could be a lot of sleepers if, if this, you know, if it really is a situation where the offensive scheme is, a, is a good offensive scheme. Cause I mean, I think for a lot of years, the Texans have valued, like we're all working hard. We're all working hard, but they weren't necessarily working smart or working on the right things. And, you know, with a new offensive scheme, you know, you've seen situations where a new coach comes in and changes things. And then you see, you see production right away. Well, people aren't necessarily seeing that happening because, you know, well, you didn't really change the coaches. You just promoted people from different positions, but it looks like they are given the ability to do what they are doing. Like they are not being told, okay, you're keeping this offensive scheme because maybe Deshaun Watson comes back. Like this is a different offensive scheme. What it is, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to wait and see. And it may be something that develops over the course of the season. But I mean, I do think that it's something that if from a fantasy perspective, You know, monitor what's happening in camp. It's hard to get good camp information because, you know, it's the season of hope and everybody, you know, is looking good and da-da-da-da. Best shape of the life. (laughs) But, like, sometimes you do see breakout things. Sometimes you do see, like, oh, wow, this Arian Foster guy is getting a lot of touches and catches and looks like he fits what they're doing. Like at this point, we are at ground zero, so it's really hard to project what's going to happen from what the past is, because there's a lot of changes, but then there's also a lot of not changes. So, you know, I think a lot of it is going to be like how how comfortable do you feel with this quarterback situation? And I mean, you can you can see the upsides of it. You can see, okay, Pep Hamilton has had um, some success with quarterbacks in the past and, and we'll see, we'll see how that works. But he, you know, the thing that is the most encouraging about 2022 that I don't think outsiders can see is just how NFL normal this camp is in a way that it was not last year. And, you know, it's hard to say that because to, to some people maybe with the team, it's like me telling them that their baby is ugly and there's <laughs> no way there's no way to tell somebody that their baby is ugly, (laughs) polite, polite way. But I mean, last year was weird. I mean, I know, I know, you know, things were said about Deshaun Watson and he came in and did things, but there's a lot of tension involved with that because frankly, there were players on the Texans who liked Deshaun Watson. There are players on the Texans that, that resented different things. So like, it's, they're just trying to make things more normal. And more normal is not just asking for them to be treated with respect, but recognizing that the entire Texans community wants wants to see competence. It's not a culture war thing or, you know, here's our culture and we need to work harder. It's are you competent? You know, are you, are you just rewarding? You know, are you just are you hyping things up? Overhyping things up that are not other people's reality and you know everybody has their own perceptions of that but i think at the end of the day it's just okay people in texas know what they want to see in football and you can't say oh well you know the process is going right when you know people can see with their eyes like you can't run the ball um I don't understand how how you put this roster together. You know how are you building for the future? Like, you know, I think I think that there's a lot of trust that needs to be built up over time. I think Lovey Smith and Nick Casario are really trying to do that. And part of it is any kind of new situation. It's hard to know what people's pet issues are. And frankly, the city of Houston has all the pet issues in the world. They lost a team. To an owner who treated them very (laughs) in, in the in the worst way that you could treat a fan base that had been loyal for a long time. Like they lost an entire team. They've been incredibly patient with quarterbacks to a degree that sometimes was not warranted. They've been incredibly patient with GMs in a way that probably wasn't warranted. And so people have kind of their pet issues and then they see things through that prism. And, you know, at some point, 2022 is the reset button. Every year is different. This year is very different. And so we don't know, we don't know what that's going to be, but it's, it's more interesting. It's more real. It, it it feels more real. And, and, you know, I, I think that they, I think the team, I think the team wants everybody to be on the same page and it's just, you know, there's just a lot of baggage that really definitely has to get behind them. And, you know, some of it has, and some of it hasn't, but, you know, it's a process, I guess.
0: Outstanding. Outstanding. So uh, as we did last year, I uh, want to finish with a fun, a fun food okay. question. You gave me one of the best answers for uh, favorite Mexican foods. Cause uh, you gave so many different options. Yeah. So uh, I, I want to do a little twist on that. Um, uh, you just had you just had a little bit of a you just had a nice nice break. You were able, you were in another state, uh, Colorado. Uh, you mentioned Colorado, uh, and you put that you put definitely a lot of stuff on on Twitter. Some of the best food, and how does it compare to the food in Texas? Some of the best Mexican food you had out there.
1: Uh, you know, it's just different. You know, like I would have a hard time leaving Texas because, you know, within a mile of my house, there's a million places that are better than some of the best places, other things. But I think some of the the Mexican food you have in Colorado and New Mexico is just different. You know, a lot of the green chili stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, Hit a coffee shop in, was it Rutan, New Mexico, uh, that had just an incredible breakfast burrito that had the green chilies in it and really good hot sauce with it. And, you know, I am I like breakfast tacos because I can have a greater variety and it's not so big, but it was a very good uh, breakfast burrito. And all these little small towns, you know, in New Mexico and Colorado and West Texas, I mean, it's just everybody, like, I don't even feel like the need to compare them. You know, They all have the things that they are particularly good at. And, you know, just, I I enjoy enjoying the things that the locals like, like that's, and and the best part of that whole trip is just everybody was just so friendly. It was just a Mm. very friendly, friendly trip. In fact, I went to a place in Colorado called the Museum of Friends Contemporary Art Museum. It was one of the most amazing museums I've ever been to, and the whole concept behind it is the people that run this museum in a very small town in Colorado, they have friends who are artists who just sent them art for their permanent collection. And then this location is a meeting place for people in that community, and they, they teach art to you know, the local kids there, and the whole idea of the Museum of Friends just seemed like a great idea to me.
0: Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. And, uh, you know what, it, it, the way the, the way the world is now, we, we could all use more friends and we could all use that mindset and everything. Uh, me amiga, you just, you, you, you went above and beyond today. I mean, just broke down the organization. And I, one thing is for certain, uh, I, people need to follow, keep an eye, keep an eye on what you're going to be putting in your content especially throughout the month of August to get some ideas because I think there's going to be some nuggets that, that, that are going to come around. I mean, I, I think the running back situation, we're going to figure out uh, you're going to help us figure out some more and obviously any, any, any receivers outside of Brandon cooks to follow, follow on. And hopefully, hopefully we hear some progression on, on Davis Mills. Can you, uh, at the close up shop, uh, anything you're working on uh, leading up to leading up to training camp that we can look out for?
1: Yes, this I am doing a training camp preview that is going to just have everything for everybody, like whether you're diehard or just kind of going, hey, are they good yet? You know, just getting an idea of things just sets everything out. And I have to say last year to me was more of like a listening and, and hearing things year and i really didn't i didn't write any football content in fact well actually i wrote a lot of football content. i probably wrote about twenty thousand words that i didn't publish oh, wow. because i didn't think that they could be heard the way that i intended to be heard you know that people were people were feeling a lot of different things and some of the some of the the some of the things that were troublesome I just felt like even saying them out loud was like kicking puppies. And I, I didn't really feel good about that, you know. Um, but I think that this year is more normal. And I, I've heard the things like there were good things that happened last year. It's just some of the, some of the things that were unusual kind of overshadowed them. And it, it, made it, it made it difficult for the people who want to like the team. And they're doing some things this year, football-wise and non-football-wise, to make it easier on the people that want to like the team. Because there's a lot of people. There's a lot of, you know, Texas is a football town. To alienate people that want to like what you're doing is hard. I mean, it's easy to do, but it's hard to repair. And I think they're trying to repair that. And the number one way to prepare that is being competent at football. The end. And it's Out. not just the players need to do that. I think it needs to be everybody. Everybody needs to do that. They have to have as high expectations for themselves as they have for the players on the confidence.
0: Oh, incredible. Incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Mucha, muchas gracias. Oh, I, did, I, I, I I, kept you longer than, than I promised, but I mean, it, it, you, everybody... I know you guys got i know everybody who's who's watching listening you're getting a lot out of this uh definitely keep an eye on on what stephanie's going to be putting out because she's going to keep she's going to help us get some nuggets that uh hopefully will help us out uh familia eso es todo for our show uh again uh, i want to thank youtube for putting us out there uh, putting our faces out there also to anchor for putting our our podcast on apple google and spotify and one more time uh gonna give a shout out to fantasy going to fantasypoints.com when you get your subscription get 10 percent off when you use the promo code familia 22 or familia 22 uh and uh you can find me at jorge 17 and also on facebook and instagram at familia to our invitada stephanie Otra vez, it was un gran placer. Thank you so much. Just an incredible pleasure. And to everybody out there, remember, todos somos familia. Salud.